Charles Sobrage, a notorious French serial killer and fraudster, responsible for more than 20 murders across Asia from the 1970s. Sobrage was imprisoned in Nepal in 2004 for the murder of two North American women tourists. The BBC's Harry Bly has more. He targeted Western tourists backpacking through Asia. Now, what he would do is befriend them and then murder them. He told an Australian journalist in 2021 that he despised backpackers. He said he saw them as poor young drug addicts. His lawyer says that the life imprisonment sentence in Nepal is usually 20 years, and so he served 95%, and because of his age, he should have been released earlier. They say that he could be released from prison by Thursday. One of the biggest cryptocurrency mining firms in the United States has filed for bankruptcy protection. The announcement by Core Scientific marks the latest setback for the sector, which has suffered a series of failures, as the BBC's Grant Ferret reports. The plunging value of cryptocurrencies, combined with the soaring cost of energy, has driven a number of miners out of business. Core Scientific, which is based in Texas, said it would continue to operate while trying to reach a deal with creditors. The entire industry has suffered a sharp decline in confidence since the collapse last month of the crypto exchange FTX. Once worth more than $4 billion, Core Scientific's share value has been almost entirely wiped out over the past year. Meanwhile, the founder of the collapsed cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, has agreed to be extradited from the Bahamas to the U.S. Prosecutors in New York have filed fraud charges against Sam Bankman-Fried, accusing him of stealing billions from FTX and lying to investors. He's been held in prison in the Bahamas since being denied bail last week. And that's the news from RTHK. National station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.05 in Hong Kong, and I'm Andrew Work, and this is, you know it, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Breaking news, the Zelensky visit to the United States is first abroad since the war started. It paid off with Biden declaring another $1.85 billion in aid. That's a billion dollars in weapons and pa in patriots with a capital C. It also includes $850 million in other support, which could include Elon Musk's Starlink satellites. Twitter nonsense over here, but look at the big money for a satellite business over there. you got to keep your eye on the right ball. The U.S. is expanding its list of chip makers in China on its restricted trade list to hit rising stars as China seeks to build its own chip industry. But uh, the WTO decided that made in Hong Kong means made in Hong Kong, rejecting the U.S. efforts to have made in Hong Kong change to made in China. Indonesia is to ban the export of bauxite needed for aluminum processing. This follows a 2020 ban on nickel exports and a potential ban on copper exports in 2023 as the country tries to promote domestic processing. Our top silly story of the day is, oh no, the Biebs. Justin Bieber is having a spat with H&M. He said their latest merch with his name on it is trash and he hadn't approved it. They said they followed all proper approval procedures, but they're going to pull it off the shelves regardless. It breaks my heart and there, there go my Christmas shopping plans for Mrs. Work. But no problem for the Biebs. He is closing a deal for $200 million to sell his music rights to a Blackstone-backed company. From self-storage in Hong Kong to pop stars, Blackstone does it all. Not silly and, frankly, not even unexpected. 
But in tax news, it seems that ex-President Trump tax returns are now showing he declared negative income in 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2020. He paid a grand total of $1,500 in taxes in 2016 and 2017, not each year, combined. He paid zero in 2020 and claimed a refund of $5.7 million instead. Over $53 million in losses in six years. So much winning. And it turned out the IRS completely failed in their role to completely to complete legally mandated audits of a standing president, just recently finishing the 2016 audit. No special treatment here, folks. Hey, on Thursday's Money Talk, uh, that's today, we're going to be joined by Mark Michelson, chairman at the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and Gavin Perry, managing director of Perry International Trading. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking crypto and the crash in crypto and, and the future with Angie Lau, founder and editor-in-chief of Forecast News. If you want to get your digs in, hit us by email, moneytalk at rthk.hk. Now, we've got a Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or you can get us on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. Yeah. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Here we go with the market update. U.S. stocks, just do it. Nike led the American bourses upwards with a 13% kick, beating earnings and revenue. The market followed with more retail stocks rising. The Dow, NASDAQ, the Rust 2K and NASDAQ are all up 1.5%, with the S&P right behind at 1.4%. Carnival, the cruise ship line, is expecting more booking and business in 2023 as travel continues to normalize. The Target and Walmart are worried about the Christmas season, as the stifle mid-December survey shows spending down 4% from last year at this time. Toronto's TSX was up more than 200 points. Uh, that's 1.2% on base metals and energy rising. The French CAC was the best of a buoyant bunch in Europe, rising more than 2%. The FTSE and stock are both up 1.7%, and the DAX trails rising 1.5%. Retail, financial services, and mining were leading sectors. More hot sportswear in Europe, as the Bad Blood Brothers, Adidas and Puma, are top of the pops, with gains of 6.8% and 9.5%, respectively. The Hang Seng Index bucked the Asian trend to close up today at 0.34%. Uh, Tencent was a winner up 0.5%, clawing back some of their recent losses. The Shanghai Composite had another day of woe, closing down 0.2%, same as the Kospi. The Shenzhen component dropped 0.3%, and the Nikkei 225 dropped 0.7%, but banks did well, especially the uh, MUFG rising 8% in morning trading to finish up almost 4% on the day. Looking at commodities, oil and natural gas both made big gains with Brent crude oil up 2.9% and natural gas rising 1.8% in 24-hour trading as the U.S. braces for the bombogenesis cyclone Elliott that threatens the East Coast. You heard it first here yesterday, and I just love saying bombogenesis cyclone. It is not a great time for the Keystone Pipeline to be out getting repairs. Russia's exports are down 11% month on month as Europe's gas bans bite and Saudi is signaling it is happy with output cuts, so watch this oily space. Most metals dropped, with only copper bucking the trend to pick up 0.5%. Gold was flat, while silver shed 0.33%, platinum dropped more, more than 1.1%, and palladium, man, you need nerves of steel if you're day trading this one, it dropped 3.2%. The U.S. dollar picked up against the euro, the pound, and all major Asian currencies, with only the Swiss franc gaining ground against the greenback. The Canadian loony traded sideways as the market waits for the big inflation report to come from Canada today. Watch for that one. Crypto had a good couple of days, but is now trending slightly downwards, with major cryptos down from 1% to 3%. 
Bitcoin is struggling to break, a hub, a break above the $17,000 mark, currently hovering at around $16,800. Having a look around the region, uh, the ASX, uh, the Aussie markets, uh, trending up right now, looking good down under. And the Hang Seng Futures Index uh, showing that we might have a good day today, uh, looking at potential for plus 1.3%. And that is your market update. And this is Money Talk. We got two uh, great guests today. We've got Mark Michelson. He is the chairman at the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Mark, welcome to the studio in beautiful downtown Kowloon Tong. Uh, thank you. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Gavin. Hey, great to have you in. Uh, Gavin is the man. Gavin Perry, managing director of Perry International Trading. Gavin, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. All right, gentlemen, um, I want to kick off with the business implications for the Ukraine's President Zelensky's visit to the U.S. Uh, $1.85 billion uh, additional support. Uh, that's his first trip out of the country since the war started. I mean, I'd get on a plane for that kind of scratch. Uh, but what does it mean for the business world? Gavin, uh, do you want to take a crack at that? Um, yes, certainly. I guess it's just uh, um, more fiscal um, printing, really. Um, if, if I can just be blunt from the, from the market's point of view. Um, I mean, we've had a, a, a national debt in the U.S. now that is it's uh, they put more debt on in the last couple of years than the entire history of the nation. I mean, we're over thirty trillion now, so it's now getting to the point of um, it's it's becoming uh, more common to, to see the, uh, the, uh, the the big B or the or the big T after some of these um, these prints, and particularly the policy bills going through as well. Um, I mean, if you, if you just look back to to the twenty um, uh, two thousand and eight Western credit crisis, I mean, TARP was about one point three trillion, and everyone had a heart attack. Um, these kind of numbers now are, um, are, are becoming the norm. And uh, I think that's something we, you know, obviously the debt markets, which we watch quite closely, um, is starting to not get blasé about, but, but it, it follows it follows into liquidity, right? And, and that's really what um, these policymakers and also on the monetary side of it with the Fed, that's what all they're watching is liquidity um, to ensure that the debt markets of uh, mechanics are working quite well. So... I mean, you know, a, a, a lot of these assets, we don't know where they're going to go, um, whether they're going to be holding U.S. Treasuries, whether it's going to be um, offshore U.S. dollar cash liquidity increase. Um, I think it's a pretty safe bet that it's probably going to be Treasuries uh, until they utilise the cash. But, um, you know, I, I think the fiscal policy side of it for, these, for the, the, the current Democrat government is, is very much um, print-to-spend and um, supply-side prime. Yeah, Mark. Mark, do you show you show those concerns? I know Barry Wood was on here yesterday uh, from Washington, and he he was definitely <laughs> raising that as an issue. Mark, yeah, no, it's 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 clearly a a big issue. Uh, what we're worried about, of course, is the over overspill uh, uh, and escalation from from the conflict on Asia as well as on on the rest of the world. And this is not only politically, but obviously economically from a business operational sense. And we have our own problems here, Taiwan and and others that that we're worried about. And, you know, of course, the the objective is to move this conflict closer to some sort of solution, some sort of diplomatic settlement. Of course, none of us know whether it does this, but I guess the – 
we don't think it probably will or not very quickly. And so it's going to be continued disruption, adding to the other factors that we're concerned about. Yeah, I mean, Biden said to uh, Zelensky, you will you will not you will never you will never stand alone. I mean, is the U.S. pushing to say, listen, uh, you know, we, yes, we want a resolution and we want it you know, to go like this. Um, you know, clearly Gavin's flagged implications for the bond markets. Like, I mean, what, what are you looking at on the business side or economic side? You buying Bowen and Raytheon stock? I mean, they're <laughs> do either of you expect weapons makers to pick up from this? I think that, you know, I, I, th- I, th- I think they might to some extent. But what it does is just is just sort of escalate the conflict. What it also does is politically in the U.S., it probably raises the temperature some more because there seems to be a potential split between the Republicans coming in to, to run uh, the House of Representatives mm. and the Democrats, as you said, the Biden administration has pushed on this pretty hard and on spending this money. Mm-hmm. And China gets caught in the middle of this because how's China going to react to the relationship with Russia and, and Ukraine and how's, how's the, how are the U.S. and other allies going to react to China and how does that affect all of us doing business in this part of the region, uh, world? Yeah, so I mean, this is this is also driving up uh, food prices, oil prices, yeah. commodities. Uh, Gavin, what, what's your what's your look on what's your outtake on those? Well, um, in actual fact, um, appreciating the comments there, we haven't really seen uh, just yet any kind of major fear uh, impacting the U.S. economy. I mean, just last night uh, we had the December Conference Board Consumer Confidence data hit the tapes, and they came in far higher than forecast at 108 versus 101 estimated. That's an eight-month high, and forward expectations are now the highest since uh, January this year. Um, so, we, you know, there is a there could be a steepish factor of, of conflict here, but we're not seeing that at the moment. I think the main aspect coming out of the, the conference board's numbers last night was the inflation expectations, which dropped to its lowest since August 2021. So, this is going to this has a, a, a lowering of probability of Fed tightening for monetary policy, which is a, a positive at the moment, and that's you saw that in some of the price action overnight. Um, you know, if I could have some levity, actually, I, I think really following on from that, um, at the moment, what we're really watching is the precious metal space. It's, it's gold, and if you want to get specific, um, your junior producing uh, LISCOs, um, which we, we kind of feel are fairly undervalued. And um, given these <clears throat> these macro numbers, I mean, the big thing to, um, that we're watching is the rate sensitivity for, for gold, for example. Um, you know, our, our view is a falling rate-driven gold price sensitivity given the street is pricing and deceleration of Fed tightening action. Um, and the CME gold futures forward curve, is, the contango, is, is widening. So, um, you know, the money market's basically pricing in six to 18-odd-month forward curve pricing of, of dovish expectations. And this less uh, hawkish Fed policy outlook um, should start uh, more of a reversal of U.S. dollar rate differential, uh, given rate differentia- uh, differentials, mm-hmm. which has pushed you know, DXY to a 20-year high. So... Um, you know, uh, that, that, that aspect of, uh, of rate sensitivity coming off, uh, I think, is really important because the previous three major bull, um, bull cycles in gold were sparked when the Fed ended its tightening and pivoted to easing. Mm. So you know, the COVID-led Fed easing of 2020, uh, 2020 was, was an example here. And, and um, we really think this is something to watch at the moment, particularly the US dollar reversal aspect. Um, if you look at some of the data, um, you know, the World Gold Council estimates a price elasticity of about spot 8.8, which implies a rally of about 39% um, if the DXY of US dollar uh, year appreciation is fully unwound. So 
um, we, we kind of think that's something to keep an eye on. What, you, you know, you're talking, talking about medals is gold, but I mean, what about other metals? You know, I talked about uh, in, the, in the lead, uh, Indonesia's banning export of bauxite. You need that for aluminum. They might ban exports of yep. copper. Are things getting more complicated well, in the global scene well, for there, other metals? Well, domestic policy aspect for Indonesia. I mean, as you mentioned in your opening uh, gambit, um, they, they're really pushing to have domestic processing foundries um, and refining as opposed to exporting of raw uh, materials. Um, look, you know, China a couple of months ago uh, um, indicated it's one of its largest importation of copper for a long time. Um, and that's traditionally been seen as a driver for um, industrial and economic growth. Um, I think in relation to industrial commodities, you want to start watching a bit more of the subcontinent. I mean, you see more and more uh, news out there of, of manufacturing going across the border there. I mean, Apple, for example, just, <laughs> just relocated a big chunk of its Foxconn manufacturing um, down to India, and you already saw a migration to the Laos and Cambodia and so forth to some of the lower-skilled labour um, input manufacturing. Um, I think it's more the industrials in that space you want to watch, but from a precious point of view, your, 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 your platinums and your, your silvers and so forth, uh, I think, I mean, obviously silver's had some issues itself in relation to physical for allocated and unallocated futures contracts under the, the warranting of, um, of bonded, uh, vaulted um, metals. But I think I think it's the gold at the moment that you might want to keep an eye on in relation to um, uh, current trends in, in the market and the data, and, and given some of those points I made earlier of rate sensitivity and US dollar reversal. Uh, keeping an eye on gold, Mark. Um, uh, this kind of Indonesian mercantilism. Are we expecting to see more of this? Is this like a, the the dissolution of or the the backpedaling on ASEAN free trade advancement or global free trade? Well, yeah, it's a it's an issue. It's an issue because the structures, both globally and regionally, are are changing very quickly, and we're moving toward more regionalization in many senses, and and in some cases, very much national centered. As much as you can do that, you can't do that completely, and and still. And still, in, in addition to the uh, to the decision that we just heard of from the WTO today, it's welcomed by by those that benefit from it. But is it really going to have any impact? Yeah, yeah. there's a question because it's not clearly as respected by others. But also something else I want to pick up with that Gavin mentioned is from our our, our members, the uh, multinationals, manufacturers in in Asia, they are. They are moving toward China plus one or two. Doesn't mean they're leaving China because China's too important to most of them mm -hmm. in terms of that. But in terms of expanding, they're going to India. They're going to uh, they're going to Vietnam. They're going to occasionally Malaysia, even Australia to some extent, mm -hmm. as they're trying to diversify and try to uh, try to deal with the situation not only politically but economically. Okay, I, I think it's also important to add there um, the fact that for that Indonesian situation is that they have. Are very different trade uh, regulations for the underlying companies operating there. So let's look at Thailand versus Indonesia. I mean, they've both been importing um, 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 technology, let's say, from a, a manufacturing point of view. I mean, Thailand's got a big a car manufacturing. There's a reason why that's not in Indonesia, because Indonesia basically turns around and says, well, you bring your IP, and I, I own it, and I'll copy it, whereas Thailand has a lot more open in that respect. The other big aspect is, is that the mango markets, Southeast Asia, let's say, tend to run dual dual deficits. So they're very, very uh, susceptible to uh, interest rate differentials and obviously US dollar cross. And that's a big problem with Indonesia. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I mean, China somehow got away with that, give me your IP. But Indonesia, mm, 
Not so much when they're competing with Taiwan or competing with Thailand. Hey, thanks to the guests today. Uh, we've uh, had piles more to talk about. We'll have to have these guys back on the show again for sure. Uh, that's Mark Michelson, chairman at the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And thanks also to Gavin Perry, managing director of Perry International Trading. All right, we're back on Money Talk, and we are talking crypto with uh, one of the main, uh, I'd say one of the one of the gurus, one of the leading lights of uh, trying to figure out the crypto markets. It's been in the headlines every day for the last little while for all the wrong reasons, but now we have uh, a shining light, Angie Lau, founder and editor-in-chief of Forecast News. Angie, coming at us all the way from the United States of America. Uh, thanks, Angie, for coming on the show. Andrew, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you and uh, on the show, and... Uh, yeah, it's chilly here, but I do say it is the weather as well. Okay. Well, I know <laughs> Over you're here in the U.S. You're in America at the holiday season, but I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea. I am wearing my Canada sweatshirt for you today from the Hudson Bay Company. So. <laughs> As I know you're a proud Canadian, but we're here to talk crypto. Um, you know, let's just get it off the table. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is in the headlines every day. He's agreed to be extradited to the United States. We all know that. Uh, fine. But, you know, what is what are the implications for, you know, even contagion? One of the other lead stories on the on the not even the business news, regular news was the uh, core scientific uh, announcement that they're going to be entering bankruptcy. How far is this going to spread within the crypto world? You know, quite frankly, Andrew, I think that when the shoe dropped with FTX back in November uh, 7th, um, it really was uh, portending uh, something massive for the industry. I think a lot of people saw that, including ourselves. Uh, I would say that the contagion that we have seen since uh, is likely not the end of it. Um, And what really is on the precipice of all of this is the trust issues that the broader market has on the cryptocurrency markets as a whole. And when you have that kind of erosion of trust, uh, when people are withdrawing themselves from the crypto markets, that withdraws liquidity from all of the bets that others have placed in the industry. And so it does not surprise me that we have seen the kind of decimation that we've seen, destruction, uh, and I would venture to say more might be to come. Uh, but, you know, as, as you know, you and I both know uh, that when it comes to even brush fires, there is a massive clearing of the forest of, of speculation that we've seen in the crypto industry. And I dare say that there are pockets of health. And this technology never failed. The people failed, mm-hmm. but the technology held firm. Yeah, I mean, that, that analogy of a brush fire. My, my undergraduate degree was in ecology, so that's, I love that. That's a, a perfect way of describing it. But, I mean, there's a big difference here between the centralized exchanges and decentralized. I, I mean, when people are withdrawing their money from the exchanges, it's kind of like they're sticking it under their mattress, putting it in, in their computers or their, their cold uh, drives at home. Um, I mean, is this is this just bad news for centralized exchanges, or is it bad news for the DeFi's and the decentralized exchanges as well? Well, interestingly enough, we saw a really uh, a migration, uh, an exodus from central exchanges to decentralized finance. So DeFi really did see a surge um, in in people uh, uh, making their plays there. 
recognizing that, you know, the irony of a decentralized technology, but the user interface and the ease of which centralized exchanges made it easy for people to participate was really the crux of the issue. The problem with decentralized finance is, at the same time, while you're in that ecosystem, you still have to on-ramp and off-ramp. And that's when you are squeezed into a centralized portal, if you will. And now we're obviously seeing regulators from around the world really looking very closely at how this industry can be regulated. That's number one. But number two, I would say that the irony of all of this is that this grew under the specter of a lack of regulation. And, you know, a lot of good, good participants and good, good players in this space have been crying out for, for regulatory clarity of which there was, it's still quite murky, obviously, in the United States and, and, you know, continuously, I think other jurisdictions, including Hong Kong, are still evolving the regulatory clarity, and that's fantastic to see. But just as an example of the United States, which many regard as gold standard, that you have agencies like the SEC and the CFTC and the OCC and, and all of these disparate agencies that are not necessarily working in concert with each other. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, we have about 20-plus draft regulations, uh, legislation, legislator, uh, legislature, um, legislated language that is in front of Congress mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. What it suggests is that really there, there, this was still a very nascent space. And so here we are today with one of the biggest scandals uh, that of all time that really, I would say, did not start with FTX. It actually started with Terra Luna. What FTX masked was really the destruction that it was really going to be the contagion that caught a lot of people in the industry. But it masked it by coming in and rescuing firms. And now we know where they got those funds, allegedly, and yeah. it certainly wasn't FTX money. It was allegedly everybody else who was part of that centralized exchange and yeah. is now facing years of battle. Uh, for for to recover probably their assets pennies on the dollar yeah. Hey, on your on your newsletter, which at uh, for, forecast, and I mean people can sign up for that on your website, right? Forecast with a K dot news. Yeah. That's right. Thank you, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. So, we, so you wrote you wrote a, a, it, on that weekly. recently. Yeah, if I can, if you wrote about recently on on the implications for Hong Kong and Hong Kong's moves, we got about a minute left. Could you uh, give us the, the the lowdown on what Hong Kong is up to? Yeah, it's really interesting. Hong Kong, um, Hong Kong Exchange uh, just launched a crypto-related FT. Uh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. um, ETF, yeah. and uh, it's it's um, on on the futures market. So very similar to what Chicago has put out. But the 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 sentiment is that that you know we heard from the chief executive that that the crypto industry and the digital assets industry is still something that Hong Kong wants to support and potentially grow. And that's really encouraging to hear because there is 
there is absolutely health in this industry, uh, but it needs to recover to it at the moment. It's, it's undergoing a, uh, a bad flu, uh, if you will, if, if not, uh, this contagion is, is spreading still. But at some point, recovery will come. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show again. This is Angie Lau, founder and editor-in-chief of Forecast.News, talking to us on crypto on Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, everybody, we're going to have a quick look at the markets. Before we go, Nikkei up, Kospi up, uh, Australian Stock Exchange up, Ethereum is trading up, Bitcoin down, and the Hong Kong uh, Futures Index is uh, looking like it might be a good day. we got plus 1.3% on my charts. Uh, coming up next, we've got After the News Back Chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lamb and our final Money Talk of 2023 tomorrow. Andrew Freris is back on. It'll be the third Andrew of the week. We will also look at tech in 2023 with Rise Boss, uh, the Web Summit man for Asia, the legend, Hyper Casey Lau. Expect an explosive free Christmas show from him. I'd like to thank our producer, Christy Lai, and our sound man, Sang Wing Ming, for working their usual magic. Uh, the weather, fine and dry today, cool in the morning and at night. Uh, the current temperature is 15 degrees Celsius with 35% humidity. Time is now 8.31 and the news with Tom Harding. The government has welcomed the ruling made by a panel established under the World Trade Organization's dispute settlement body that the origin marking requirement imposed on Hong Kong products by the United States is inconsistent with WTO rules. The World Trade Organization found yesterday that the U.S. had violated global trading rules by insisting that products imported from Hong Kong be marked as coming from China, a ruling rejected as flawed by Washington. Until 2020, the United States had treated Hong Kong, which is a separate WTO member, in the same manner as before it passed from British control in July 1997. Then U.S. President Donald Trump signed an order requiring that be changed, with Washington arguing that the SAR was not sufficiently autonomous to justify treatment different from that of China. The order came into effect in late 2020. A three-person WTO adjudicating panel found that the United States had violated an obligation towards Hong Kong by giving it less favorable treatment than other WTO members in terms of marks of origin on its products. The government says the ruling has affirmed its special status as a separate customs territory. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Algernon Yao, said in a statement that the revised origin marking requirement was politically motivated and a vain attempt to interfere with Hong Kong's internal affairs. People heading to bars will no longer have to take rapid tests from today, while the number of diners at banquets will no longer be limited in the latest easing of anti-COVID rules. The government says changes are possible because the pandemic situation has stabilized. The chairman of the Lan Kwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, told RTHK that the relaxation was the best Christmas present for everybody, adding that the sector expects a boost to business. Obviously, I, perfect, I really expect something like one and a half folds. You know, it, it, uh, it, it really looks uh, very, very good. People are now going out. But the fact that you can drop the rapid test and Banquet, uh, banquets are increased, uh, you know, the numbers are increased uh, for banquets, and then also uh, people in general. Uh, and now the talk of the border with China opening up, that's a big, big plus, and hopefully it's uh, early January. This would, this would really make a big, big difference.
Vladimir Putin has told his top defense officials the Russian army can have whatever it needs to win the war in Ukraine. During a televised speech in Moscow, the Russian president said all military equipment should be the most up-to-date. Everything a serviceman needs should be modern, comfortable and reliable. And if some departmental standards are outdated, they need to be changed quickly. We have no funding restrictions. The country and the government give everything that the army asks for. Everything. President Putin said hypersonic missiles would be deployed on board a Russian warship from January. He also talked about improving the combat readiness of the country's strategic nuclear forces. President Biden and the Ukrainian